I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You're listening to Wood Talk Online with your hosts, Mark and Matt. Take it away, boys. Welcome to Wood Talk Online, a woodworking podcast for woodworkers by woodworkers. That's right. Now, if you have a question for Mark and I, you can reach us with any woodworking question at uh, woodtalkonline at gmail.com. All right, Matt. So uh, what's going on in your shop right now? Well, we had a big day the other day. Actually, heading right into the weekend was a perfect way to get the weekend started. I remember, uh, actually, it was in episode two. I think we, we brought up the idea. I asked you a couple questions about maybe getting a jointer because I was finally in the market for one. Right. And finally, while the wife went to sleep, I got up on, on online real quick, and I placed an order, and my jointer finally <laughs> arrived. <laughs> really? And, and let me tell you, it was, it was as soon as I heard the uh, the air brakes on the, uh, the freight truck pull out in front it was like clear out of the way daddy's gift is here let's go and so <laughs> nothing turns you into a kid more than when uh ups comes with the with a delivery oh absolutely i think the, the guy came out he like kind of got out of the cab and he's got these big burly arms and i'm just like oh crap how big is this thing really going to be and where's the lift gate on this <laughs> and so uh he asked me to kind of help him uh take uh take it down off the truck and unfortunately uh, well, luckily for him, he wasn't the one that dropped it, but I almost dropped my end. But I was just like, I don't oh, care, man. just get it done. <laughs> oh, geez. That's, that's a scary moment. I've had a few uh, close calls with deliveries and lift gates and things like that where uh, it just makes me really nervous because those machines are heavy. So the uh, I get I get the, the the whole package down. It came in two pieces, and I mean I'm just I'm as giddy as a schoolgirl. Everybody in the neighborhood must have heard <laughs> me just giggling as we get this thing rolled in. And I'm home on my lunch hour, and you can only imagine how hard it is to drag yourself away from this and get yourself uh, back to work. Sucks. Yeah, yep. so so I definitely I opened up at least enough so that I could see it, you know. And it's just like one of those hee. <laughs> Take a little peek. <laughs> yeah. So I, I grabbed the manual and I took that with me, and pretty much 
nothing was done for the rest of the afternoon. And I even felt like I was like in a homeroom class or something where I got my, my textbook wide open, but I've got the comic book in the middle. And that was pretty much me the rest of the afternoon. Are those cases oh, nice. done yet? Um, no, nice. not yet. <laughs> so what did you what you wind up getting as far as specs, um, six or an eight inch? I ended up going with the six. And the main thing okay. was uh, the I kind of I broke out the, uh, the tape measure and did a couple of floor measurements to see where it was going to fit and everything else. And Man, I really wanted to go for the eight inch. I mean, I was, I was, I had my my finger on the button to to order that. But when I thought about it, I'm like, I'm already kind of vying for valuable floor space. And it seems like with the majority of the projects I've been doing, I think I can easily get away with the six for right now. That is. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes you gotta. If you have a space consideration, you've got no choice. So. Exactly. And the nice thing is the model that I ended up getting. I went through Grizzly, and I the the model I ended up getting came with a built-in caster system and everything else. So I'm like, you can't beat that. It's all right there, no, so it's easy good. to move around. So when I did nice. all my my price comparison, it wasn't so bad. But yeah, uh, Grizzly's that, got some. Uh, they've got some incredible prices. I, I know they've gone up since since their uh, when they first came around, and everybody was really flipping out about their low prices. But still comparatively speaking very very good prices well i've um i've actually seen um a number of shops uh some of the you know i i think i've seen neil's and uh, a couple other shows in the past where guys get away with those little do you ever seen that little delta uh tabletop jointer i think it's like a six inch jointer uh but it's a little tiny guy and a lot of guys get away with those and and do some really really good work like i said i, I i'm not a hundred percent sure because i've uh watched his episodes pretty quickly but um i believe fernatology neil's uh podcast there i believe he uh has a, a relatively small jointer and clearly that guy gets some pretty good woodworking done oh absolutely yeah yeah i have seen some of those and that's i've, I've eyed a few of those like well maybe i'll go that route but yeah that's it's amazing some of the stuff they can do you, you, a lot of guys can get away with with these smaller oh, yeah. tools yeah and if you can go bigger great but a lot of times you can't so you, you make do with what you have and uh basically no excuses <laughs> absolutely <laughs> there's no excuses unfortunately guys like that make make me look bad when i say oh, i can't do it i've only got an eight inch joiner yeah and it's funny because then when you do get the new the new power tool you know then suddenly it's just like one of those how the hell did i get by with anything else i mean yeah well yeah, no, that's a good question you're you're a hand tool guy how do you think this might change your approach now that you've got this tool uh what's this hand tool stuff i've never heard of it <laughs> hand playing what now yeah i've got I'm, for anybody listening i've got a big market sale kind of thing going on uh going cheap <laughs> no it, it definitely now i really understand um the the big difference i mean i, I still I, I see myself still using my hand tools but there is definitely a few times when when you have a chance to to use you know the, the power tool itself the the modern day version you're just like I totally understand now. <laughs> yeah, but you know, and the good thing is, though, you've already uh, sort of built up the background and the skill, you know, so mm -hmm. that if uh, the power ever goes out or what, you know, I mean, but to me, if if you can work with the hand tools, it's um, so it's, it's kind of a rite of passage, and it's a way that you know, it, being hobbyists, where we sort of are self-taught and we we get our experiences through you know forums and things like that uh it's it no one really does it the way it used to be done no one starts by getting a piece of wood and having some you know grumpy old uh teacher tell you you know your your first goal is to flatten this board just really doesn't work that way anymore so it's it's nice to to be able to have that background and say that that's that's your core that's where you've started and now you could do it the the fast and easy way because you've already got that skill to do it the slow 
uh, methodical, classic way. Absolutely. It's that foundation, that the, the basics. You get the basics out of the way, and this is true for anything. You get those basics down and everything else, you just build off of that, and it just goes so much smoother. And you know, and I really am kind of a, one of those uh, people that I, the more, now that I actually have this great tool in, in my shop and everything, I still, like I said, I see myself still using the, the uh, hand tools, but it's going to be like a mixture of the two, because I think there, there still is room for that. There's easily room for a mixture of the two, kind of whatever's going to come around. Of course, I've still got to get over the the, the newness and you know the the giddiness. Sure. So <laughs> it might take you a while to pick up a hand plane again. <laughs> exactly, it's like one of those. Yep, yeah, up on the shelf. That's where it belongs. <laughs> well, there's there's nothing wrong with that. You got to get excited about the new toys. That's that's why we do this. So sweet. So what's going uh, on in you your know, shop? Well, actually, uh, we have been filming a. It's sort of uh, in conjunction with uh, with finewoodworking dot com. Um, we're doing a, a big assembly table project, so just your classic torsion box assembly work table uh, and the stand, and it's a, a nice big project, but it's going to be featured on, on not just the Wood Whisperer, but also on their site, and uh, sort of a collaborative effort, and um, it's it's a lot of work, but it's going to be a really good multimedia plan. There's going to be a text, video, and pictures, and it's, it's going to be a, a nice uh big deal for people to uh, to be able to download that and it's all free and um you know basically sponsored by finewoodworking.com so pretty excited about that but that's been uh, the bulk of what i've been up to the past probably four or five days now so that sounds like plenty <laughs> yeah well you know it, it, it it's enough to keep me busy that's for sure but i i unfortunately ran out of plywood today so now i gotta go pick up some more tomorrow <laughs> oh <laughs> man hey, i can only imagine that site in the shop right now what were the words that were flying uh we won't get to those right now <laughs> yeah well yeah, that's the thing it's too late in the day to go and pick up more and you know i figure well screw it i'll just go in and play a video game or something there you go (laughs) (laughs) but that that's really about all that's been going on in the shop um you know i did want to talk about um just thought it would be fun to talk about woodworking shows and uh i mean really there are there's not that much out there right now tv shows Mm -hmm. um and, and i think that's kind of a great thing for people like you and i and neil and uh uh the woodworking uh what the heck is it uh would uh, something online i can't yeah, remember woodworking online or yeah <laughs> that's it that's it yeah the uh the woodsmith store people um oh, yeah. y- you know they've 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 got a great podcast and it's it's a good opportunity for us to fill that gap you know there's a huge gap right now in woodworking programming we've got norm and mm-hmm. i think norm just uh started they've started doing some of his shows on diy and there's this old house um and i just caught a episode of uh Freeform Furniture on DIY okay. uh, last night with uh, Amy Devers and of course Woodworks, which is all you know reruns at this point. Uh, and it, you know, so that's like a grand total of three shows that have actual woodworking content, and only two that I could say really do have woodworking content. I think um, Freeform Furniture is a, a decent show, but it's more industrial arts, uh, gotcha. a lot less woodworking. But man, that girl's got some nice tools um, <laughs> and i really didn't even mean for that to be a uh, sexual you mean, you mean literally she has <laughs> i mean literally she's she's very uh well sponsored and has some really nice tools but um you know it's just kind of disappointing anymore that there's just not that much out there so i just think it's a great opportunity for us to to pick up the slack and um you know pull in some of those viewers so they can start watching and listening to to our shows absolutely i, I really agree that was one of the reasons why when i first got started you know it was it really was kind of like there was this void basically because i mean i talked about i I mentioned it before that it's like when it comes to down to the woodworking shows at least in my area if i 
don't catch something on like Home and Garden, and unfortunately, our we 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 didn't put out the good money for the DIY channel, but yeah. um, you know, we we maybe get PBS, and then of course you have you know the the New Yankee Workshop, you have uh, the American Wood Shop with uh, um. Oh crap! Uh, I can't even think of his name now. Scott Phillips. That's the one. Yeah, he's always yep. in my area too. Seems like he's doing like a seminar around here. Yeah, and he's then, cool. And then, um, then of course, then you get into like the the really hand tool uh, guys, like uh, the Woodwright Shop with uh, Roy uh, Underhill. I love that show. Oh, I don't always watch awesome. going. So that's what you do with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's. I would never do anything that he does, but, <laughs> yeah. but I love watching it. It's like a, it's like a, a time travel, you know, type of thing. It's really cool. Absolutely, yeah. And then you know, and it's so funny because then you get into those ones where everybody's like, you know, like you just. You know, with with the norm, he always has the the greatest new new thing out there, and it's like fantastic. You know, and dreaming about it and everything, but yeah, there's there is this 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 niche that needs to be filled. And you're right, we we are we're not to pat ourselves on the back, but we are doing it. And it seems like there's a few of you listeners out there seem to enjoy it too. So thank you. <laughs> no, absolutely, a big thank you. I think it's a good opportunity for everybody, and 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 I think having this sort of um, free form environment that we have on the internet allows us to do some you know unconventional things that you normally would never be able to see on television which is which is awesome right. oh and uh the one other show I'll, I'll i'll throw out there in it's not even out yet technically is um what is it woodworking together uh gail o'rourke's show i think okay. uh, they they just put a preview up on um, google not too long ago and probably on youtube as well uh but it's it's slated to be on I think it's October. Uh, it'll be on PBS, so call your local PBS stations and then try and uh, request that show. Um, but again, that's that's a very similar to the uh, Norm Abrams, uh, uh, you know, New Yankee Workshop format where they're building at least the the preview I saw mm-hmm. where they're building a, a piece to that's reminiscent of another piece, and they they go on location and stuff, and it looks like a good quality show. But the bottom line is for me, any woodworking programming, I don't care whether they have the most expensive tools, the cheapest tools, whether, you know, they're building something old or new. I think it's it's just great to have woodworking programming on TV. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but because it's such a niche, you know, area and TV is going to usually appeal to the lowest common denominator, uh, that usually rules out woodworking. Yep. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Yet Absolutely. somehow they're, st- they're knitting. Knitting, it must be really popular. And uh, I just yeah. don't know about it. Have you noticed that? There's, uh, we seem to be competing against quite a few knitting podcasts. <laughs> I was going to say, I got a knitting <laughs> podcast that's kicking my butt every week in, uh, in the ratings, and it's, it's kind of annoying me. Yeah, I, I have noticed. I was joking around with that with some co-workers are like how's your podcast thingy doing i'm like it's doing pretty good but there's these damn knitters that are beating the, the damn knitters <laughs> i think we need to have a brawl i think uh the the knitters against the woodworkers there you would be, go uh, it's like the jets and the sharks that'd be great <laughs> yeah. yeah it'll be like pearl one knit two and we'll come in with you know sandpaper <laughs> one and <laughs> yeah exactly so hey, they, you know, another one is also um have you you have to have checked this one out the the woodworking channel on or woodworkingchannel.com have you checked that yes. one out yes yeah. i have yeah that that one is definitely very dangerous when your spouse thinks that you're overly addicted as it is and you're yeah <laughs> definitely sitting there watching another television show while having your laptop in your lap watching that <laughs> yeah it's it's cool that's kind of neat because it's it's just always on it's always about woodworking um i i am a big mac user and i had trouble on my mac with firefox but when i went into safari it didn't seem to have any problems so anyone who tries to get on there with a Mac, uh, if it's not working for you, try to go back to Safari and see if that works. But I can lose quite a few hours uh, if I if I tune into the woodworking channel. That's a, a very cool uh, cool website. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Many, many are wasted. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Let's, not wasted. Uh, 
No, well, yeah, you are learning something, and there's some original, you know, really good programming on there. So sweet. Uh, what do you say we jump into some email? Oh, that's true. We did get some email in, didn't we? We got which, which, by the way, we want to say send more email. I think we uh, are at this point able to field quite a few questions per episode. So uh, keep sending the questions in. Yeah, especially for those that have mentioned that you like the long format here. Um, we need more emails. <laughs> yeah, you're you're getting a long format. That's for sure. So sweet. So uh, let's see here. We, which one are we going to start? We have uh, a couple of emails Ron's, here. Yeah, Ron's, let's start with Ron here. And uh, it's a, you know, Mark and Matt, I typically purchase most of my lumber in the rough and was curious if there was any way to get a better idea of knowing what I'm getting when I am picking through the piles to the lumber yard. Should I pocket a block plane and take a couple of swipes when no one is looking? <laughs> I don't know about <laughs> you, the, the lumber uh, yard guys that are anywhere near you, but uh, I'd be careful if they didn't appreciate that. <laughs> uh, they're usually pretty grumpy to begin with. So. Yeah, and uh, the way that they've thrown a few pieces of like, you know, eight quarter um, maple that's about, you know, 12 feet long around uh no <laughs> but uh so the rest of his question is or maybe you know bringing a coarse piece of sandpaper the reason i ask is because i find it difficult to match color and grain in the rough state and at times the thought that i was uh what i was what was i thinking after the first pass through the jointer um okay well ron you know there's i've read a couple of articles about this and really when it comes down to it um i think if you are going to take a block plane with you i think that is something you could do but you because we were joking around, you you really might want to talk to the lumberyard people themselves before you, you do anything like that. Because you can only kind of imagine what would happen if suddenly you, every time you went to grab a piece of lumber, here's a couple of swipes with a block plane or something. To, yeah, to, definitely ask permission. Yeah, it, it really, when it comes down to anything in the lumberyard, um, you know, there really is kind of that um, uh, just things that you're supposed to do, things you're not supposed to do, just, you know, common courtesy. I mean, it's like even like when you're pulling lumber out, it might be nice if you go for the one on the bottom to maybe re- stack the other ones back in place because um, again you don't want these guys chasing you and also if somebody did it to you you wouldn't be too happy about it um, really I, th- I think the best thing at least for myself one thing that I, I pretty much have done is uh, basically just try to really spend more time hovering over the wood uh, I don't really have a surefire way that I, I check the lumber to see how it looks um, a lot of times if I really came down to it and I was really not so sure about it, I can always ask one of the one of the lumberyard guys, and they're more than happy to help me out. Um, but that's that's pretty much what I have on it uh, is just kind of take sure. your time sorting through the stacks. You can a lot of times if you're really lucky, if um, maybe you find one great board, you you could maybe find the other ones that went with it. I know that as they're getting sorted out, a lot of times the tree obviously is going to be going in separate directions based on grades and everything. But if you're really lucky, you know you might be able to book match some up. But that's that's a whole other subject. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, if if you buy it all at the same time, you know you may you may luck out and actually get it all from the same part of a tree. It might all be from the same cut. Um, so that that's probably not a bad idea is to just buy a bunch and then you know sort through it at home. Which I mean, it may not be realistic depending on your budget, but the problem is it's you we're talking about a physical issue here. It's not just uh, you know going with your gut. It's the fact that the grain's completely distorted by the rough cut and you can't see what's underneath. So yeah, like you said, ask permission. You better make sure that it's okay because every lumber place has a different set of rules and you need to follow their rules. So. Um, you know, but if they let you do the hand plane thing, cool. But that's really only going to give you an idea of a small surface area, not the entire board. Um, so, I mean, bottom line is, I don't know. There's there's times when I have to do this. I just buy more than I need and then hope that I'll be able to find some good grain matches and good color matches when I get it uh, back in the shop. Um, there's a lot of times 
in most cases, you can get a pretty good idea what the underlying color is because they're all rough. So the color when they're rough should be about the same as, you know, if they match when, they, when they're rough, most likely they're going to come pretty close to matching color-wise when they're actually treated a little bit in your shop. So, um, you know, but I, I don't think there is any magic trick to, to doing it. It's just a physical issue that you can't see what you're looking at. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and those those lumber guys, they're, they're hilarious. I actually had one. Um, I picked up a, 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 a order of maple, and they somehow the the guy at the other lumber mill because they they kind of <clears throat> excuse me they sent them out to the little satellite stores, and they accidentally threw in some tiger maple with uh, my Oops. order. Yeah, and the guy yes. was like loading it in the back of my van. He's like, "Holy crap, you got lucky! You got some tiger maple." I'm like, "Where? Where do you see that?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was just kind of hidden in there. And again, it's because the I mean, think about it when you're growing a fuzzy beard, you can't really see the face so much. So yeah, the, yeah. Well, the there song. there's definitely a little bit of a a trick and experience to picking out figured woods uh, in the rough and being able to, you know, to see the bubbliness that you would get, you know, behind a, a burl or some sort of, uh, you know, like you said, tiger maple and actually be able to, to pick that out before it's plain down. But uh, for just standard, you know, grain patterns and things like that, then it's just no magic way of doing it. Right. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to a question from JT. Hey, JT. JT says, hey, guys, great show. Have you ever had one of those days in the shop where nothing seems to work right? Uh, Every freaking day. Yeah, I agree. Uh, (laughs) Today I was struggling, struggling with my bandsaw, trying to resaw some soft maple for a workbench I'm building. The blade keeps drifting to the right through the cut, and no matter what I do, nothing seems to help. I've adjusted my blade guides and tension with no luck. The guard is down near the top of the workpiece, too, but the cut is drifting severely. I have a Grizzly 14-inch saw with three tooth per inch, half-inch Timberwolf blade. It's a decent blade. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point, the blade came off the wheel and started throwing sparks. Oh. Could I have ruined the blade? Uh, thanks for your help. Keep up the good work, JT. Um, well, I have this to say about that. Um, if the blade came off, I can't say that the saw is tuned properly. Um, what I would recommend doing is going back to the very beginning and pretend like it's a brand new blade and set that thing up from scratch um i did do a bandsaw tune-up episode recently so check that out at the woodwhisper.com if you want the details on that um, and i went through the whole process of how to, to tension the blade properly and and keep in mind though timberwolf blades do require a low tension um so follow their instructions for proper tensioning but as far as the uh bearing setup uh setting up the distance between your side bearings your thrust bearing um you know, getting the blade to track properly, all that is in the video, and I would recommend following that. But the fact that the blade walked off the tire tells me that something's not right. Either, you know, the tension isn't right, the tilt of the wheel may have been off, or uh, if the wheels are severely out of plane with each other, you could have a constant problem where everything seems to be set up properly, but it keeps walking off. Um, and to answer his question, could he have ruined the blade? Well, yeah, absolutely. You could have ruined the blade. Um, if you put a kink in the blade, that's going to be a problem. And if you knocked off some of the teeth, you could probably still use it if you knocked off a few. But if you knock off a bunch and, and do some serious damage, yeah, you're, you're going to probably have to buy a new blade. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That uh, When you mentioned the sparks, I can just see that because that, that's happened to me a couple times. I inherited my old um, 14-inch uh, bandsaw. And I don't know how my grandfather had this. In fact, I don't know how he had any of these tools set up, to be honest with you. I think he set them up <laughs> once and just left them that way, froze them in position, and just came back. 
And <laughs> I had the same, you know, kind of a similar thing when I was first setting it up. And that was my first thought also was that the, the, the there's it's just maybe not set up the right way. And, and maybe the lateral motion of the wheel um, minus the top one and that one, you know, if it if I have it too far forward, then the blade's going to just shoot right off too far back. Same thing. So it's yep. really kind of just a matter of getting in there and, you know, really kind of playing with it. That was exactly my first thing is you probably have gone through the steps of tuning it up, but maybe there's just one aspect that perhaps you overlooked. And it's very simple because I, I anytime I see sparks, the first thing I do is panic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of scary on a bandsaw. And I mean, you could even if you see in sparks, the other thing is sometimes you could be pushing too hard into the bearing. And a lot of times I actually did this on my old jet bandsaw and I ruined um, the the bearing, I think the thrust bearing, because I had something slipped off and it was digging so hard into that bearing that it just uh, dug a groove. Into oh yeah, it and I uh, had to replace it. I had no choice. So your your thrust bearing's not supposed to have a groove. <laughs> uh, <laughs> usually not. Because once again, I think crap. I had this thing all set up wrong. It, it must have had that thrust bearing frozen because there is a <laughs> straight up and down. There, there's nothing going on there. It's you know. So yeah, a couple of shots of some uh, lubricant, and I finally got that thing to spin. But uh, yeah, that's there that's you go. Definitely, <laughs> that's nice. That's my first thought. Is we yeah, he must. This must need to be set up just a little bit. You know, go back and take a couple of steps and check out Mark's video. Definitely. <laughs> yep. Yep. Definitely. And click on ads while you're there. Hey, there you go. That's a great idea. I like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm shameless. <laughs> and well, you then go over to Matt's site and do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go see the sponsors. You know, just hang out for a while. There you go. All right, so we got through JT, and uh, are we ready for the next one? I believe we are. Okay, and the next one here, oh, it's another Ron. Wow. Yay, another Ron. All right, two You Rons. never have too many Rons. That's right. Oh, uh, let's see here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, love the show, of course. Uh, I've recently come into a lot, hundreds, he says here, of rough sawn hardwood in lengths of 12 to 20 feet. Lucky guy. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Oh, man. I'm trying to think of where I'd put it right now. Anyways, though, that's another one. Um, I do not have a joiner, but I do have a thickness planer, and most of my projects I have planned do not require lengths longer than 8 feet. How do you suggest that I square up my stock? Should I cut up my stock to approximate length and proceed, or run the entire board through the planer to get the section out of the board, then square everything up? Well, that's a good question, Ron, and this is one that definitely um, I know myself. I wrestled with this. Uh, actually, the I until just recently, as you heard at the top of the the conversation here when we began the show, I just finally got a joiner in, and way back when I only had a thickness planer. And, and to be honest with you, it was funny because I remember thinking, "Well, I've got this. What else do I need?" And so, therefore, I would always run my my lumber through just the thickness planer. Now, if you're lucky enough that the stock is pretty much flat and 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 ready to go and everything, you can probably get away with this. But your question about getting a square edge, obviously. Uh, for a board that's maybe you know six inches in width, that's pretty dangerous to try and run that through on an edge, and you're not going to get any you're not going to get any results from it. There's just no way in the world. Chances are it's rough. Blah 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 blah. So, anyways, yep. though, one thing I think I would probably end up doing is you'd probably you're going to need a jig of some sort to make a straight cut uh, to get the, the square edge. So. There's all sorts of jigs that you could make for this. You could make one for your table saw. And I was just thinking about this. You could even, I've seen ones out there for routers and for uh, circular saws. Again, it's going to depend on the width of the actual board. Obviously, a four inch board trying to balance a circular saw plus a guide, probably not the brightest thing to do it. That's probably going to be a little dangerous. 
but you could probably easily, you know, as like maybe an eight foot board that you have, you could maybe use the factory edge of a uh, a plywood sheet to more or less kind of act as a straight edge for you, and thus you could maybe make a cut that way. Um, you would kind of clamp it on there and then run the circular saw along that factory edge to give you your square edge for your board. Again, it's really going to depend on the size of the board. Um, instead, you could also maybe maybe make a table saw sled in which for smaller boards, you can kind of clamp that in. Again, you'd have one uh, edge that you know is is square and straight. Run that up against your fence and try to square up your stock that way. Um, you know, those, these are just a couple of – you really have to be – if you do this, you need to really kind of plan this way out ahead because you're going to obviously need support at the beginning of the cut and at the end depending on how big it is. Um, and then also a reliable way to make sure that the stock is going to stay on whatever the jig is that you create. Um, there's all sorts of ones out there. I know I, I actually had one uh, – I had purchased these. They're like little clamps that you, again, would create kind of a straight edge, and then you clamp these on there onto the straight edge, and then it has another section where you clamp onto the wood that you want to create the square edge on. And then, again, you run it up against your table saw fence, and you get it from there. Unfortunately – depending on you you can only imagine trying to put through like some five quarter stock that's probably about you know 10 feet long that would be hellish (laughs) (laughs) so that's that's really the only thing i can really kind of think of obviously there's always the hand plane method but um you know that's if you if you want to go that way it's it's it takes a while to learn the right way to do it but once you get it down it it, it works great so that's you know if you ever wanted to go that option as always i've got to kind of throw that one out there but I think maybe some sort of sled, some sort of jig or something might be your best way. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Mark? I think you're right on. I think the uh, the sleds are going to be the only way to go if you don't have a joiner. Um, to answer uh, the earlier part of his question, I, I usually do take my rough boards and I trim them to rough length first. I cross cut them, you know, usually with a circular saw or something just to make them that much more manageable. Uh, and then at that point, go through the process you were uh, discussing, whether it's using a sled on the table saw, which would probably be my primary first choice. Um, you know, sometimes if the board is straight enough, you could just, you know, skip plane it and, you know, do a, a buzz down one side, flip it over, buzz down the other side, uh, and then just do some treatments to uh, to square up the edge on a table saw. Uh, you could also get a, excuse me, you could get a very long straight edge, uh, you know, one of those eight footers clamp that down to the board and then get a flush trim bit with your router and ride along the edge and uh, actually square up an edge that way. Um, and not to keep plugging my site, but at thewoodwhisperer.com, episode six, the joiners jump in. I give a few video demonstrations of uh, just um, two or three of the methods that we just uh, brought up, actually, two of the ones that you brought up, Matt. So, um, you know, that that's really the best way to go if you don't have, you know, the other tools, but it's certainly doable and, um, you know, that should work pretty well for you. Yeah, actually, that's what I was watching that episode as I was trying to describe it to Ron. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's times that uh, that if I've had a really long board and I don't know whether it's my mood or, you know, maybe it hasn't happened with my uh, my new jointer, but maybe my old one was a, could have been a little bit you know, out of, uh, out of whack, but there's been times when I've needed to put a straight edge on an eight foot long board and mm-hmm. it was giving me trouble. Um, and sometimes the only thing you can do if, if you're not getting accurate results with, uh, you know, with, with the joiner you have, or your, maybe your bed's not long enough. Sometimes the only thing you could do is one of these methods, 
uh, and it works great if you you know as long as you have that first edge put on there that's nice and straight, you could follow up with the other one easily enough on the table saw. Um, but yeah, definitely definitely get get the hang of some of these uh, you know sled building methods because they will come in handy. Absolutely, you know, and then it's kind of funny though when you did mention and he mentioned in here too about cutting the pieces down. I think that's one thing that a lot of people might overlook, especially obviously beginning woodworkers. There's and I know I did this with quite a few of my projects. The assumption was, well, you have this large board, so therefore you have to prep all the stuff down first before you cut it down to the smaller sizes for the components. And right. really, if you take that step ahead of time and maybe rough rough it out, because I, I you know talked before about how it's like really you need to leave some some space in there. The, the oops factor. Yep. And if you do that, then obviously this board that maybe was, you know, 20 feet long, but yet you were planning on maybe getting, you know, like uh, four pieces that are five feet long, five feet versus 20 feet. It's a lot easier to work with. Yeah. So if you can do that and, and cut it down, absolutely, by all means, makes makes life a lot easier. Well, and then if you, you know, if you're dealing with some rough lumber and it's nice, thick stock, uh, if you cut it down, the cutoff pieces will be untouched rough lumber. And that way you could, you know, treat them later. You might actually be able to maintain more of that thickness, which may come in handy. If you trim everything down now and then cut it to size and then it's still scrap, you know, a cutoff and you put it on the side, by the time you go to touch it again, maybe six months from now, it's going to move and bend and, and twist a little bit, and you're going to have to joint and plane it again, and you're going to lose even that much more material. So the more of your material that you're going to hang on to uh, that you can keep in the rough state, the better, honestly. So I, I think definitely cutting it down to a manageable size is the way to go. Absolutely. And send much of that wood my way, please. <laughs> sure, sure. Any of the, yeah, he's got hundreds, so he could spare. There we go. <laughs> um, okay, I think we can move on to the next one. Okay. Um, this one is an email from our good buddy Ski, and he has a multi-parter here, so Ooh, okay. let's uh, see if we can't tackle them one at a time. All right. uh, let's see. I'm completely enjoying the shows, individually and collectively. You provide a ray of sunshine into the world. Flattery never hurt anyone, he says. Uh, feel free to summarize or dissect this question into any format. Well, that's what we'll do. We'll just actually hit all, all three of them. Uh, okay, so I'm working on a uh, project and have a couple of questions and personal problems. Uh, we'll deal with the questions, but not the personal problems. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's between you and your family. And I believe that's um, a whole other podcast, if I remember right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm building a checkerboard tabletop out of four inch by four inch squares. It's alternating red oak and mahogany. I glued up four strips of alternating wood and then cross cut and flipped them to create a checkerboard pattern that I was looking for. This went well and I was happy with the contrasting colors, but I've created a couple of issues I thought you guys might help with. Number one, when I sanded and glued up the surfaces to even out the ridges, the mahogany became much lighter and the, uh, having trouble reading today, much lighter in color than it had been prior to sanding, reducing the impact of the contrast. I'm hopeful that staining will darken the mahogany uh, more than the oak to regain the distinct colors. Testing on scrap, they take the stain very differently. Could you comment on the nature of wood to change as you remove the top surface? Uh, well, I wouldn't really worry about what, what you've just come across there. I mean, whenever you, uh, any kind of wood that's got a decent amount of pigment in it, when you sand it, you, you usually do wind up lightening it up or turning it a, a shade gray or something like purple heart is a good example of that. 
Uh, and of course, Mahogany obviously is also going to do something similar where it sort of loses that that boom, that impact color that it had. Um, and that's just the product of oxidation and just time and, and, uh, and uh, it aging and having exposure to the elements. Um, so if it was there before, it'll be there again. Just uh, have a little patience. And, and sometimes putting a finish or a stain can kind of accelerate or at least make it look like it's, it's got that type of an age. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase to it um, but I wouldn't even bother unless you were planning on staining the piece before um, you know I wouldn't even bother with the stain just let it let it have some time and within a month or two take a look at do a before and after picture and you'll see a major difference uh, once it has some time to, to hit the air absolutely yeah that, that sounds right um, yeah. Uh, have anything to add to that at all? Uh, no, because those are actually woods that I don't work with. Uh, I'm strictly pine and what I find on the side of the road. <laughs> nice. There you go. <laughs> no, that, I, I agree with you though. It's it's if the color is there, um, you know, a lot of times when when you're working with things, you'll. I mean, it's just like any time you you make a fresh cut on a board that's been sitting up on the you know on the rack. The fresh cut is always going to look you know way different than the the face that maybe has been sitting around for a while. So the right. you know the, the wood is the wood. It's just, it's going to be there more or less. So yeah, yep. definitely. Okay. So, so part two of his question, the ridges created by flipping were significant in a couple of places due to some twisting and curving of the wood and the woodworker not paying enough attention. <laughs> uh, in some cases, maybe as much as a 16th to an eighth of an inch. Ooh. I chased these around with a palm sander for an extended time. And this didn't seem to have the dramatic leveling effect that I had hoped for, even with 60 grit paper. So I tried a belt sander for the first time and quickly learned the danger of sanding against the grain. <laughs> Suggestions on evening up the distinct levels of the of the glue up. Should I just use the palm sander for hours, um, use the belt sander, and then clean up the sanding marks with the palm sander? I would say, you know, when you're in that position, that just sucks because it is tricky to figure out how to get the level down and, and not wind up with a twisted board when it's all said and done. Um, the first thing I would probably do is stop sanding and start grabbing something with a blade in it. Um, you know, it's much easier to deal with shavings than it is to deal with dust. Mm -hmm. So at the very least, and I may not even jump into a, a, a bench plane or a, a block plane right away. I may just go to like my number 80 cabinet scraper, which is a pretty aggressive scraper, uh, and just do some diagonal strokes across the, uh, the pattern itself. Just, um, you know, should take off a decent amount of material pretty quickly and have a leveling effect that's going to be much better than sanding. And then after that, I probably would jump to maybe, you know, my biggest random orbit sander I could get, you know, like a six inch or something that, that will actually help level the surface a little bit. Belt sander, of course, if you, 
you know, if you're brave and you got enough uh, skill with that thing, go for it. Um, but usually, as you can see, the belt sander is not one of the most user-friendly sanding devices out there. Um, but that's what I would say. Decrease the amount of sanding by doing a little bit of uh, plane or uh, scraping work. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Um, unfortunately, I have had that effect where, and this kind of goes back into like the uh, the last uh, email where I just used the thickness planer without any kind of joint or anything like that. And I kind of got into the same thing where you have the glue lines and I want to even those out. And so I'm like, well, it worked best. The sander, of course, with a, a nice, you know, 60 grit or something. And I now have, I made a sewing table for my mom, which will stay in the basement of her house for the, for the rest of the life with no nothing for me <laughs> on it whatsoever. I made that when I was in the third grade. <laughs> and, uh, nice. and that's the way that is. I mean, this thing has more ridges and stuff like that. And that's because I tried to even those out and maybe tended to push down too hard, that kind of a thing. So. Yeah, I, I say now if you can go towards like the cabinet scraper, um, yeah, or if you if you feel comfortable with the hand plane, by all means, and you know it just it's so much easier, and you'll find that you you get more of it out of the way, and it doesn't, you know, really once you get once you start using the tool and you understand it, you you won't mar the surface. I mean, if you do, you know how to correct it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and you'll uh, you'll clean it up in a jiffy. Absolutely, it'll 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 even those out really really quick with minimal lung damage. <laughs> yep. Um, all right. Well, the third part of his question, I won't read the whole thing, but he's asking about uh, the need for a real workbench. And he's realized using this belt sander and some of the stuff he's done that uh, having a light, movable, you know, uh, not very durable workbench is not cutting it for him. So he asked if uh, we have any suggestions on a first time uh, work surface or work table. Um First of all, let me ask you, Matt, what do you do most of your work on? Do you have a workbench? Uh, I do have a, a workbench, and it's really kind of one that I've just more or less uh, – it's had many incarnations. I think I pretty much kind of started out similar to uh, what Ski was talking about here, very lightweight. And that's when I, I started to discover that lightweight is nice when you got to move things around, but yeah. not when you're actually going to be working on them. Um, so now I have kind of a, a – a, I get, my wife works for this company that more or less makes like uh, office furniture, so I've got like these really thick particle board tops and you know oh, and cool. fiber board and everything, and so I've got the melamine on top of it. But so it's ni- the tops are nice and heavy, and then I beefed up the legs with like some uh, four by fours, and soon there will be a new reincarnation of this one coming. But mainly the thing was I wanted something that was nice and sturdy, so that even if I wasn't working with the hand planes, anything that I put up on top of it wasn't going to bow the tabletop. Um, and, you know, if I was working with a sander, I'm not going to be chasing the table for whatever reason from the vibrations, sure. um, you know, something like that. So that that's one of them. Okay. Uh, well, that, that, I mean, that definitely works. And, and what I want to stress to him is that you don't necessarily need to jump right into the classic, uh, hard maple workbench. I mean, that's something that certainly would work. It's going to be heavy and, and, you know, it's going to be fun to make and, uh, I definitely think every woodworker should try to to make a workbench someday. It's a, it's a great project. It's a lot of fun, um, but you don't necessarily need that. Uh, the truth is, for functionality, you can get a nice, really flat, really heavy, sturdy workbench. You know, by using stuff that you can get at Home Depot. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, find an old door. You know, is a great find if you're if you're trying to build a workbench. I know a lot of guys use um, either hollow core or a solid core door that's just got a nice flat face on it. Um, you know, wrap it with some hardwood. It's going to look fantastic. Absolutely. Um, you know, you can make, um, you know, kind of like the torsion box assembly table style tables. You could make a framework and then drop in a piece of hardboard that's then replaceable. 
Um, you know, if you ever get it really dirty, just screw it down and, uh, you know, pop the old one off and put a new one on. Uh, it doesn't have to get too fancy in the beginning. I think you should definitely, uh, build something that you think you need right now. Just, you know, make it simple and and don't put a whole lot of money into it because I think as you develop as a woodworker, you start to realize, uh, what you really do and don't need. And you may realize that you don't need a really big, giant, heavy, classic workbench because that's not the style of woodworking that you do. Um, so don't put too much money into it right now. Just do something cheap, get something that works. Even if it's a door on a pair of saw horses, uh, in a couple of months, you'll realize what you like and don't like about that style, that height, that weight. Um, you know, but if you jump into it and build the, you know, end all be all workbench right now, you may regret it six months from now. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. And, um, you know, it's so funny. I mean, there's entire books that are all about just the workbench. I mean, just like you know, there's entire books about just tools. I mean, workbenches yep. really are a creation of you know of the of the the woodworker themselves. But I agree, you you need to start out with just something very basic so that you can get that feel. You know, there was that question I think last week about which tools do I need? Well, that's that's a right. loaded question. <laughs> yeah, it's a very personal question. Exactly, and, you know, and it comes down to what type of woodworking are you going to be doing? What type of projects are you going to be building? And yeah you can easily get away with. In fact, I think my very first workbench that I ever had was, it was just a, a sheet of like three quarter inch plywood on, you know, just a couple of legs that I made down in the basement. And that, that suited mm-hmm. me perfectly fine. I got away with a ton of stuff on that until I decided that it was, it was time to beef it up a little bit more. And even then, you know, again, it was, it was just a matter of, you know, more things that I found laying around that I knew, okay, this is a little bit heavier. And, you know, you yep. just go from there. Yeah, you, you don't need anything fancy. You know, it's it's absolutely by no means whatsoever. It's what no, works best for it. you. Absolutely. Sweet. All right. So are we ready to move on to the next question there? We sure are. Okay. Let's see here. Our next one. Ooh, it's a, a two-part question here. And uh, this is from Rex. Yeah, that's right. I, I suddenly took my glasses off and I lost the, uh, the name there. <laughs> okay, so uh, Rex has two questions. And his first question, what is your favorite Band-Aid? Uh, or do you stuck tough guys just like let the blood fly? How about duct tape? Well, you know what, Rex? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I say, you know, not only am I putting, you know, uh, sweat and tears and everything in this project, by all means, I like the first one, blood, all over the yep. place, especially on lighter color woods. Let me tell you, it gets right in there. And, it's a good um, stain. Real it is. Stain. Just, I mean, they, they made a whole movie about it, the red violin. <laughs> right, yeah. Now, I, um, I actually, I use Band-Aid brand SpongeBob Band-Aids, and I'm not uh, afraid to admit it. That's right. It takes a true man to be able to admit that. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, um, uh, I, I use a lot of uh, super glue. You know, just a little dab, and then you just kind of. Yeah, a lot of guys. Up. A lot of guys do that. That's that sounds fun, but uh, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, it just depends on who's around when it happens. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. So, uh, Rex, your your second question here. Oh, he says this is the serious one. I thought that first one was pretty serious. Yeah, it was. Let's see here. Do you know of a good wood finishing reference type book? The type you can reach for when you have that one question that needs to be answered right now. Uh, well, I actually just the other day, and I've mentioned this on my podcast, the um, I received some uh, uh, publications from Sterling Publishing, and they actually sent me one the other day. Let me kind of reach over here and grab it. And it's a brand new one. In fact, actually, it just should have hit the bookstores uh, just this month, and it's called The Wood Finisher's Handbook. I think they're all named that, aren't they, basically? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is by Sam Allen. I've had a chance to flip through it, and it pretty much covers all you know the basic stuff, including equipment and uh, 
you know, touch-ups and everything like that. But, you know, when it, when it comes to finishing, that's pretty much the only one I've really had a chance to. I've always kind of joked around about this, uh, but I really am kind of – I know where every single finish is in every home center, so I can tell you which aisle to go to, and that's, that's <laughs> pretty much it. And they have pamphlets there too, so you can check those out. Um, there you go. How about you, Mark? You, you got a couple of references there? Well, there's a couple classics that you will constantly be referred to if you ask around in uh, the woodworking community. Um, and I'm going to probably – I don't really know how to pronounce his name, which is really sad. But Jeff, it's either Jewett or Hewitt, and I would say Hewitt. Uh, he writes probably a number of editions for uh, the Taunton Press, and it's a complete illustrated guide to finishing. Um, and it's fantastic, awesome reference book. Uh, there's also pretty much any book by Flexner, Bob Flexner. He's, oh, yeah. uh, he's one of the national authorities on finishing. Um, I saw a few seminars and actually enjoyed some of the information uh, from uh, Michael Dresner. And he has a number of books uh, out there as well. And the final one that I would recommend, and I actually I think I have a lot of these in my uh, Wood Whisperer store little book session uh, section that I made up. Um, this one is by George Frank. Um, he's a very old world, old school finisher type, and he's got a, uh, I think it's Adventures in Wood Finishing, I think is the name, but it really, really good, well-written book that he just kind of tells a bunch of stories about finishing experiences that he has and, uh, you know, that he's gone through and he's got recipes in there and a lot of it is stuff that, you know, it's old school. So a lot of it is stuff that's, uh, you know, maybe some carcinogenic compounds and things <laughs> like that that you may not want to play with, but, uh, it's, <laughs> it's very, very cool. And, uh, you know, it's it kind of scary when you think about just throwing these things around the shop, but, uh, you got to take it with a grain of salt, but there is some really, really good information, and he tells some really uh, colorful stories that really stick with you. And the the good thing is, if you've got a good story attached to a particular technique, you're probably going to remember that technique. Uh, I think he told one story about. Uh, I may have even told this once before, but um, about uh, finishing a, a bank that they had done one time, and that the color wasn't dark enough, and they had already um, done the staining and the finishing, and the the owner. Uh, came back and said it just wasn't dark enough and I believe it was all quarter sawn white oak and they decided to try to fume it even though it was already in place and finished oh, and then they, clo they, they closed all the doors, they blocked everything off blocked off the windows and uh, the whole crew just ran in and, and put uh, dishes of ammonia all over the place and, and left it for a day or two and uh, turns out sure enough the ammonia fumes penetrate right through the finish and turn the wood the exact color that the owner was looking for and they didn't have to strip and, and refinish the place but it was just you know kind of a cool story to teach you something about uh, ammonia fuming and the effect it has on uh, on certain woods so wow. definitely recommend that book it's it's a lot of fun it's a good read oh man that sounds pretty decent <laughs> yeah yeah it's kind of neat lots of good stories in there okay if I go down drag me out of there <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly could you imagine that I mean, I know when I when I've done fuming in a little tent. I mean, you got to be really careful with that stuff. Oh, uh, but I couldn't imagine running around a, a giant building and placing all these uh, dishes of ammonia. But then again, hey, they're working with some really nasty chemicals anyway. So what do they care? Exactly. Yeah, they they, they probably have a few <laughs> of their own problems. So <laughs> right, exactly. Um, you know, um, there is one other book, and I believe it's I, it's on the shelf, and it's about eight feet away from me, and I can't reach it. Um, it's by the Taunton Press, and I believe it's a publication from Fine Woodworking, where it's a collection of, I think it's like the email questions and answers and suggestions that have been written in over the years, uh, just 
just random things, any kind of you know solution for a finishing problem and classic finishes and things like that. But it's kind of a compilation of all of those articles from the magazine, and it's a really really good resource just for you know you just have some random issue and, and some pretty wacky fixes and things like that in there that people have written in. It's really a really good book too. But um, I'll put that in the write up actually okay. when I when I get a chance to go over to the bookshelf. And after a few more episodes, we'll have our own to be putting up. <laughs> just yeah, really. Use the force, Mark. Pull it towards you. <laughs> <laughs> I should. I haven't been practicing my force powers lately. I'm getting uh, getting rusty. Yeah, I think it's the warm weather. It's uh, at least around this area. I, I can't do anything these days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right, I'll move on to the next one. Okay. We got another one from Ski. Ski keeps us busy. Yeah, definitely. Holy cats here. Uh, this is actually kind of funny. I like this question. <laughs> uh, he says, so I keep thinking of questions for you guys. This one might be right up your alley. Uh, what do you do when family, friends, or wife uh, gets you a woodworking tool that either A, you already have, uh, B, it's a step down from what you really want, <laughs> or C, not that useful? <laughs> Uh, how do you handle this potentially awkward situation? I love the Christmas episode of the Wood Whisperer with the gift ideas, but I just couldn't get my wife to watch it. <laughs> I don't really need I don't really need another fourteen point four cordless drill, but how do I tell her that? <laughs> well, wow, this is tricky. Yeah, well, hopefully, if you're lucky, you have a number of woodworkers in your family, and you can just regift. <laughs> yeah, regift it, sell it. I, I mean, really, the thing is. It's going to depend on on who you're talking about. I mean, some people get their feelings hurt really easily, and you're just going to have to put that thing in your shop and kind of like you know the the painting or the uh, the the furniture or something that a family member buys for you that you only take out when they visit. Oh yeah, uh, it may be that type of thing where you can only pull that tool out once the person who bought it for you comes around. <laughs> yeah, we have a talking picture frame that my wife's aunt gave us that you know you you push a little button and it records whatever it is. So you know whatever the picture is, and that that's exactly the situation. Luckily, she never comes to visit, so that thing's been collecting <laughs> dust for years. <laughs> does she uh, does she listen to podcasts? Oh crap! Oops. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, really, realistically, what do you do? Uh, you know, most stores have a have a at least a, a return policy where you could take it back and get store credit. You know, so maybe you do that to get the tool that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm usually the least likely to to hurt someone's feelings. So a lot of times, as much as I'd like to say I'd be really honest and say, you know, hey, I actually already have one of these. I probably would just suck it up and try and figure out a way to recuperate some some money for it and reinvest it in uh, another tool that's that's more useful because you know what are you going to do with it It doesn't do them any good to just put it in the closet and never touch it absolutely yeah (laughs) i mean it is it is awkward it is awkward but what the hell are you going to do i mean you're you're lucky someone's buying you a a present that's even related to woodworking at least they're in the ballpark yeah exactly i'm sitting here thinking i'm like man what what would you do because i i've gotten a few of those you know and it's it always seems to be like clamps because there was one year that everybody gave matt clamps for christmas and yeah. it, that one definitely the the range of quality was like you know way up there <laughs> down to what what in the world were you thinking <laughs> well the other thing is you know preventative make sure people know that you're picky about what you have in your shop yes and i think it didn't take long before my family realized that they can't buy something for the shop without asking me because i am picky about what you know brand i use or what style i use 
Um, and that usually circumvents the problem. Absolutely. Yeah. Be very, very straightforward right off the bat. <laughs> yep. Yep. Or Just have to be a, honest. Yeah. Have a long list in the house and just scratch it off <laughs> as it goes. Right. You know? <laughs> have it on the, on the, the heck with the honey do list, have the tools to do list. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, it, just be honest about it and, and make it known. Make it known what you like. Hey, maybe this is where we should have some listener feedback and have people send us in with their idea of how to handle this situation. <laughs> yeah. That would be interesting to see what people do. Do. I mean, it's, it's definitely an awkward moment, but uh, you, you just deal with it. Like, what do you do when you get a pair of clothes, you know, a pair of pants that you would never wear? You know, yeah. how do you deal with that? Same thing. Yeah. Hope for gift receipts. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Gift, gift receipts are a good thing. That's for sure. And again, if you can just at least say, you know, nonchalantly, hey, you know, where did you wind up picking this tool up at? You could probably get it back to the store and uh, you get store credit for it. And, and I'm sure they've come across it, so you probably can get a couple of nods or something out of that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But well, we are running kind of long here. You want to just, uh, let's rip through this last question yeah, real absolutely. fast and uh, we'll, okay. we'll call it a day. Let's see here. Uh, we have this from uh, uh, Jorge and uh, it was uh, love the show, individual podcasts, etc. But let's get to the question. Uh, the first question uh, spray painting. You already talked a little about this show, but I will have many. I still have many questions about it. Would any air compressor work, or is there any minimum requirement for the size of the compressor? Um, I really think that this is one that there there are size requirements. Uh, I, I don't yeah. do much spraying, but what do you think, Mark? <laughs> De- definitely size requirements. You really. I mean, some people probably try to, but you you really shouldn't be using like a little pancake compressor that's really going to put a lot of strain. Um, There are numbers here. It's it's, uh, the easiest way to look at it is see what the... um the flow rate requirement is on the gun that you're looking at and then see what uh, what kind of output the compressor has. Uh, I had to, and this touches on one of his later questions, but I'll just go through it now. I had to make this decision. I just have a little uh, DeWalt double little hot dog compressor. Uh, it works great for, you know, brad nails and, and things like that, but it's definitely not adequate for spraying. So right. um, in, instead of investing the money on a big size, you know, good size sprayer that isn't going to have to, or a compressor that isn't going to have to turn on every five seconds just to keep up the airflow. Um, instead of doing that, I just went with a turbine uh, sprayer, which is a self-contained, um, basically it's a vacuum cleaner in reverse. Okay. Um, so it just blows the air out, uh, you know, through a nice uh, a tube into a HVLP gun and it works great. You get just as good a quality as you would in a standard uh, compressor based unit. Um, it's a little pricey. That's going to be the, the major drawback, uh, but it's a self-contained portable unit that's really come in handy for me a lot, not just in the shop, but uh, going on location and doing jobs uh, out on the road. Um, I could tell you basically, I would say minimally to get a decent one, $500, um, probably sky's the limit as far as, you know, getting like a big four stage turbine or something like that. But, uh, the one I have, he, he does, I think ask about what I have. It's a Fuji, uh, okay. that I went with, but Apollo makes some decent ones. Fuji AccuSpray is another brand. I'm probably missing a few, but, um, take a look out there and search for, uh, turbines and you'll find some good info. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I have a little pancake compressor and that one definitely doesn't, uh, that one try that I made with that little critter sprayer thingy, yeah. you know, and that was, I mean, if you didn't mind all the runs and sags and everything, the fact that it did run constantly, uh, yeah, that's yeah. That's, that's... You need adequate air pressure. Either you're going to get uh, less than perfect results with the spraying itself, or your compressor is just going to poop out on you because you're it's just cycling constantly, which is not good for the for the motor. Absolutely. Okay, so the, the next part of this talking about spray uh, spraying, he mentions uh, when you 
mentioned spring outside. How far do I need to be from my house and the neighbor's house? Um, let's see. How much do you like your neighbor? <laughs> yeah, I mean, how do you answer that question? If they can smell it, it's probably not a good thing. Exactly. Um, you probably don't want to be spraying like anywhere near their new car. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the bottom line is you got to be really careful because that stuff can be a real hazard and uh if, if you do have someone smelling it you can get in probably get into some pretty big trouble especially Absolutely. you know depending on where you live and what the regulations are um so i would be very careful and i we can't really adequately answer that question for you <laughs> yeah. but uh, how strong uh, are the winds in your neighborhood uh <laughs> yeah definitely you got you got to see where the wind is going you know i mean that's why getting a simple um if you can get a fan and a filter system set up you can capture most of that overspray um even if you are spraying you know outside by your garage doors or whatever but i mean just just don't right. be very close to your yeah. neighbors that's all i can say <laughs> yeah it's just like the old adage don't spit in the wind uh yeah you don't want to spray in the wind either so <laughs> uh, and then you got to think about how you would feel if somebody was doing something with uh potentially toxic and dangerous chemicals and they're they're wafting their way into your house oh yeah there's that whole thing too <laughs> yeah so anyway okay so let's see uh one of uh uh, early Mark's early podcast mentions that he didn't use, uh, doesn't use an air compressor, but another equipment. What is okay? You were talked about that with the the turbine. Yeah, we um, covered that. Let's see how much of a burden is it to clean up the equipment, uh, and is uh, spring for any any help for small garage shop projects? Um, yeah. it, I guess it depends on what chemicals you are, what what finish you're using. I mean, obviously, uh, water based. Uh, uh, um, uh, finish it's basically just water and soap but then you start getting to the other ones you're probably going to get a little bit more intricate maybe how many moving parts like, i guess i'm not the right person since i don't really have this but <laughs> these are things that are just running through my head it's just you got a lot of small parts in the gun or something it seems like yeah. you're gonna have a lot of small parts you got to clean well with water-based and oil-based finishes a lot of times those are the ones that are going to cure pretty quickly and are once they do cure they're not going to re-dissolve uh once you hit them with a solvent so um, you know, you're going to have to change those and, and clean that uh, gun quite frequently. But if you've got a uh, lacquer-based material, a lot of times you could just leave the lacquer in the gun uh, and it's actually ready to go for the next use. Now, you don't want to let it go for months, but, um, you know, if you're going to be a couple days or a week or so in between finishes, you could usually get away with leaving the gun loaded up. Um, and that's typically what I do. Um, but, you know, the, when you do a full cleaning, sure, it's going to take a little bit of time. Um, but usually you don't have to do that type of, uh, you know, gut it and clean it all out type of cleaning. Most cases, you can have a, a sequence of, uh, you know, material that you put into the gun to clean it out before you go into something else. So if you're using lacquer, you want to clean it out using some lacquer thinner, you know. And then if, let's say, you're switching over to shellac, go from the lacquer thinner, you know, what necessarily – you might want to maybe put some water in there after the lacquer thinner, maybe not. But you could just go right to some plain um, alcohol spray the alcohol through the gun that not only cleans it out but it sort of primes it for shellac and then throw the shellac in after that so you do a series of cleanup sprays to blow out the gun get it ready for the next finish um so yeah not too much of a problem but um you know to answer the second part of his question yeah it's a huge help for small shop projects but it's kind of expensive so if you're talking about you know doing a little tiny jewelry box you may just be better off getting a spray can uh, of either 
poly or deft or something like that uh, instead of investing in a big giant spray system. Yeah, that's what I was thinking because I know that there are like those little handles that you can actually attach to the spray can to maybe give you a little bit more control. And sure, again, you those know, work good. Yeah, and you can easily still you know use a fan or something to kind of you know put it in there just to make sure. I I suddenly had this. I'm sorry, I was giggling in the background. I just suddenly you mentioned the alcohol cleaning out the uh, and priming the the equipment, and I just suddenly had you know the image. No, seriously, honey, the scotch is it's for the machine. <laughs> <laughs> I was probably hey, scotch if you want. That, that would be uh, you just spray it right in your mouth. That'd be there fun. you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I couldn't imagine. Oh, okay, so let's see here. It has a couple more questions here. One is about uh, security glasses. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm sure I mean safety glasses, dust mask, respirator. Um, I know these are very important while working the shop, but I always have the problem that using dust masks result in my uh, safety glasses being foggy. On the other hand, using an air respirator results in a lot of sweat in my face and an itchy neck. Am I the only one this happens to? Am I using the wrong glasses and respirators? Really, when it comes down to it, my opinion is this is kind of like one of those um, – I, I, I really think you just kind of have to just deal with it. I mean, obviously – uh, it, it's, it is going to happen. I think even in the cold environment, when I use my security glasses and a respirator, I still get really foggy. It's just this natural, yeah. you know, hot blooded uh, that I have. But uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> but I think it's, that's, I would. Um... I would say uh, suck it up, yep. deal with it, and uh, I mean the bottom line is, yeah, there's a lot of times it gets really uncomfortable, but um, you got to do what you got to do, and it's either be safe or uh, or be comfortable. Yeah, and I'd rather you know be be safe personally. Um, you may want to look into a different style of respirator. Um, the one that I use is a 3M respirator. I, I'm not sure what series it is, maybe 700, uh, where the actual uh, exhalation uh, exhaust is downward so it doesn't fog up your your safety glasses which is a nice convenience um, you know you I don't know you might even go to the extent of getting some anti-fog material mm-hmm. uh, I know for scuba divers they they have that stuff uh, I know when I used to scuba dive you would put it on your uh, your goggles and it would actually stop it from fogging up so you may if it really bothers you look into that but some of it's just the the nature of the game and yeah your neck is going to get itchy but uh, what other option do you have? You know, breathe and, dust and uh, get something in your eye. So absolutely, yeah. You know, suck it up, buddy. That's right, man. Just do it. <laughs> do it. <laughs> do it. So yeah, and then unfortunately, from the medical aspect of it, that is something I deal with periodically. Is you know, you get the the chemical lung and everything else, and it's not it's not pretty. So you know, it it is an inconvenience, but. Compared to actually, you know, a lifetime of problems or just dealing with it for pretty much what amounts to maybe, you know, an hour here, an hour there, if that, I I think it's an inconvenience that I'm willing to live with. Sure, absolutely. So, and then uh, right. one one more question from Jorge here, which basically is: Matt likes his planes, like uh, a lot of other people, and everyone that preaches the plane benefits talks about getting them used from a local flea market or from eBay. What's with that? Is that manufacturer are the manufacturers that are producing new uh, new ones, or are the new ones just too expensive or not producing? Oh, I read that wrong, but essentially, I kind of get the <laughs> idea here. Uh, the one reason why I always uh, mention like going to like a flea market, antique store, something like that, is because it's kind of like one of those. It's kind of an, an entry level thing where basically, you know, if you're not sure you're going to use it, you can still get a quality tool. Uh, at a decent price, and hand planes and a lot of other hand tools, it, it is all about um, spending a lot of time practicing the technique and learning it. 
Um, there are manufacturers today who make some just amazing hand planes. Uh, Lie Nielsen, um, Veritas, which is sold through Lee Valley, and actually Woodcraft, Rockler, all those good guys. They sell all of those. Um, and let's see here. I think Clifton is another good one. They make some excellent hand planes, but if you've looked at the price tags on them, they pretty much are right up there with what a lot of you know power tools are are. are going for so if you're not quite sure that it's you know something you want to get into more or less i I hate to say it but a great way to go is to pick up one of these old ones and just more or less you know learn to work with that learn the basics first and then you can step forward and maybe move up to the next you know progress to the the higher end version um really when it comes down to that said i mean the light nielsen and veritas seem to be the the two biggies right now that they are competing the most for the new hand plane market and they have got some really excellent tools if any of them are listening i you know i i wouldn't mind trying those out <laughs> but that that's my main thing is it's just simply it really is a fact that you can get these really great old tools relatively cheap and get your foot in the door and find out what you want to do. And the nice thing is too, with most of these older ones, uh, because there are so many of them out there, you can easily find replaceable parts for them. And even the the newer manufacturers, the ones they're making, actually you can get replacement parts for the older ones from the newer ones, you know, the kind of mix and match kind of a thing. They still stick to the standards and you can kind of go from there. That, But that's the main thing is for me, it was always like one of those, hmm, let's see, uh, I think Veritas for like their number four smoothie. You're probably talking close to $200 for a new one. Or I could go down to the flea market, find one. Actually, you can find a dozen of them and pretty much pick out which one you want to use for maybe, you know, five, maybe 20 bucks at the most, depending on the condition. Uh, let's see, spend 220 uh, I think I'm going to go with the 20 to get myself started. And that's pretty much the main reason. <laughs> well, I think we have definitely worn out our welcome today. We've, uh, I think we are over an hour already here. So Holy cats, that's, that's, pretty, yeah. that's pretty dangerous. We will start hearing things from uh, the car insurances pretty soon. So. <laughs> yeah, so let's leave these people, these nice people alone. Yeah, absolutely. Sweet. <laughs> so we probably should uh, end, this, uh, end this then. And uh, yep. remember, as we mentioned at the beginning of this, if you have any questions whatsoever, any woodworking-related questions, what have you, send them to us, you know, Mark and Matt, over at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. We'll be looking forward to receiving those emails, and you should be looking forward to us answering them. Absolutely. It's a good time, everybody. Join in the fun. Absolutely. Sweet. <laughs> now let's knock those knitting guys out of the way. <laughs> yeah, we got to kick some knitters' butts. Sweet. <laughs> All right, Matt, I will uh, talk to you later on then. Okay, you take care then. All right. All right, bye. Bye.
Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.